Leadership Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Murata, host of the program, and it is show number 164. That's right, 164. Welcome to the program. Um, proud member of the Education Podcast Network, proud member of Voice Ed Radio Canada. Both of those have great programs uh, on there. You're an educator, you're a leader. Check out their podcasts. Uh, and I appreciate the bo- uh, work they're both doing. Chris Nessie uh, with the Education Podcast Network and my friend Stephen Hurley, Voice Ed Radio Canada. Check them out. It's show number 164. We are going to meet Craig Randall uh, in a moment. And that's uh, looking a little funky with my virtual background. But it's Trust-Based Observations is the name of his book. Uh, he's been a guidance counselor. He's been a basketball coach. He's been a principal. And uh, this is a passion of his. Uh, trust-based observations from Washington State. We're going to meet Craig in a moment. A couple of housekeeping items. Again, if you're watching live, please jump in the conversation with us. Leave a question, a comment, um, and um, a little commercial. Craig wrote a book. I've written a couple books, and uh, many of our listeners say, Andrew, you know, how'd you do it? How'd you get started? I'm going to ask Craig about his writing technique. I am doing a book writing seminar. That's on May 1st. It's free. May 1st from 10 to 11.30. Maybe you've been thinking about that. Maybe that's something that you're interested in. And uh, how do you get started? Well, I'm doing that May 1st. And uh, um, it's going to be a writing seminar. It's free. Sign up on my website on the form there. Okay. Uh, Again, this is show number 164, Education Leadership Beyond. Leave us a question or a comment on the chat, and uh, let's get rolling. The opening segment is about feedback, right? And if you work in schools, and regardless of your role, if you're uh, a principal, uh, a guidance counselor, a teacher, regardless, right? A teacher to a parent, a teacher to student, a principal to a, uh, a teacher, whoever that is, that relationship of the feedback, it's important. It's important how you give the feedback, it's important that the process you go through, uh, like our, our mama's taught us, right? It's not what you say, it's how you say it. Uh, and Craig explains in the book, it's, it's all of that and then some. Uh, I've had situations where it hasn't gone well and uh, I didn't deliver the feedback appropriately. Um, you know, we've got to find ways to support our people. I'm going to ask Craig about the word empathy in that evaluation process and what it means to to the person. So uh, the point of the opening concept here is it matters. Your feedback towards somebody else's work is very important. And you can't do it half-heartedly. You can't do it sarcastically. You can't do it in a way uh, that's going to be offensive or disrespectful to people. And uh, I've learned a lot about that over the years. And I learned a lot about it. Uh, by reading this book, again, by Craig Randall, 
And uh, enough talking about me. Let's bring Craig uh, into the uh, program here as he will be the star of the show. Craig, welcome to uh, Education Leadership and Beyond. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. All the way from Washington State, here you are uh, on the program. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. I'm thankful for the opportunity. And uh, Craig and I met, uh, actually I heard him on a different podcast. I reached out, I was able to get the book and, and really as a leader, Craig, I fell in love with the message. Um, but before we get to the book, Craig, for those that don't know you, don't know where you, where you are, like where are you located in Washington State? I know it's a long way from us uh, yeah. here in the Northeast, but where are you located? And, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm located in Tacoma, Washington, which is about 35 miles south of Seattle. We're on Puget Sound. I mean, I'm not on Puget Sound, I wish, but we're about a mile and a half from the water and it's, it's a beautiful part of the country. Um, uh, in terms of me, I've had, a, I've, I always say I've had an eclectic educational background. I, uh, I've worked as an elementary and middle school counselor, took a major detour is because many of us coach on the side into college basketball coaching and did that at small college level for about seven years. My wife and I always talked about working in international schools. So we took another major detour and went over and did international schools, started out in Poland and worked our way around the world. And we, I started my principal certification program in the summers at home when I was there and then became an assistant principal and a principal. And then we came back a few years ago and uh, I started working on a book and it came out in September. And now I'm trying to change the world of teacher observation with it. Yeah. And uh, uh, tell me about, so the book just came out September of 2020. Yep. T tough time with the pandemic and all of that. <laughs> uh, not ideal. It was supposed to come out in the spring, but that got delayed because of that. But I mean, what do we do? It is what it is. So uh, you got you yeah. to move forward on that. So Craig, let's get into that. Uh, I certainly want to talk uh, about your educational background, but let's talk a little bit about the book. It is a great passion of yours. Um, mm -hmm. And... Tell me about the background of you deciding to write a book about observations. Um, well, I, I would just say I, I was I was frustrated with observations, even in the, even in the best of circumstances with the best of principles. It just felt infrequent. And then by the time they saw you again, whatever advice they had given you, we'd probably both forgotten. So you weren't getting continuing feedback. And remember talking to people frustrated about it and people say, yeah, 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 I hear you. But that's just sort of the way it is. And then I had a principal or two years straight, I wasn't observed, which is more common than we might think. And I, in the midst of my principal certification program, I met the man that's become my mentor and now a good friend, Warren Aller, who runs, used to run the program at Western Washington University in Bellingham. And I remember the very first day in the supervision class, he just said, you got to be in classes every day. You got to be observing teachers, giving them constructive feedback, focusing on their strengths, supporting them, helping them get better. And I just remember, like, just the way he said that every day in classes, it was just this, the light bulb goes off literally in my head and a hallelujah moment for me. And we just started practicing in that class over and over. We'd each bring 10 minute mini lessons to teach. One of us would observe. And then immediately afterwards, we'd have a reflective conversation, which even back then was guided by the same two questions that lead trust-based observations. And that was, what were you doing to help students learn? And if you had to do over again, what, if anything, might you do differently? And so by the time we, I got my first assistant principal job, I was so confident in my ability to do it because we practiced it so much. And so I started doing it. 
And just immediately teachers, like 20 plus year teachers down to new teachers, like no one's ever asked me about my teaching before because we go into their room, by the way. We don't have them come into our room because we always say going to the principal's office, whether you're 7, 17 or 37, always feels like going to the principal's office. So we go into their room. It's true. And people would just say, thanks for asking me. It allows me to give. So you just saw instantly, like I didn't know any of this was going to turn into what it is. But then after that, we would just share strengths. And there were no ratings. We just talked about what we saw. And teachers were like, no one's ever told me the things I did well before. Thank you. Same thing, which is like both of those are sad commentaries. But as opposed to the traditional model of my just telling you everything and giving you ratings. And so at first, that was really all we did. And I was really lucky, too, because I'll say my principal uh, was at a point in his career where he felt like the thing that really drove him most was having somebody young and enthusiastic with lots of ideas. And so that was me. So he even adopted it, too. And then I didn't give feedback right away. One, because I felt like I'm new and I'm just starting to see you. What if I tell you to get better at something that you're already good at and you didn't see? What's that going to do? And part of it was the new guy probably being a little reluctant to give feedback suggestions. And what I realized was about the third time through, a bunch of teachers started saying, okay, okay, but what can I get better at? And that was a huge light bulb moment for me. And I don't think I realized it was trust back then, but by just asking them about their teaching, engaging in collegial reflective dialogue and sharing strengths, that built trust. And so they were willing to ask and wanting to learn and grow. And I think even just the nature of those conversations made them feel safe to ask about how to get better. And really that was it. And it just grew and grew and grew until uh, a principal, a head of school asked me to teach the other principals at the school. And so that was like, oh, oh yeah, that's cool. And then one of the elementary principal said, Craig, you got to protect your work. And I said, what, hmm. what are you talking about? you're like, no, this is good stuff. And then I thought, okay. So I presented at a conference and it went really, really well. And I wrote an article and then I was like, okay, well, I guess the next step is, Greatest good, greatest number of people, and wrote a book. Wow. What a great story, Craig. And uh, you're right. You do hear so much uh, bad stories about observations, about infrequency and things like that. Um, yeah. Craig, while you're talking about having people ask for suggestions, let's, let me jump to a, a quote here. Uh, it's chapter 14, right? It's on page, okay. it's on page 140 about offering suggestions. Yeah. The quote here in your final thoughts, to develop and sustain continuous success, teachers must make changes because they desire to improve student learning, not because they feel pressure to improve test scores, but because their boss demands it. Outside pressures as a source of growth are sustainable for a time, but at the cost of building morale. When people make changes because they want to or be because they feel safe, their hearts and souls are into it, and therefore they will be more successful than if people are pressuring them into making changes. Tell me about that paragraph, because I love it, but there's a lot of secret sauce in there to how to get to that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, first off, it, it's, it's about trust. And when people, Simon Sinek wrote that when people trust, they'll take risks. When they don't trust, they won't. So we're not gonna grow unless we take risks, first off. So taking risks, building trust takes time. And so like Brené Brown, we're all familiar with her, and she talks about trust as a marble jar, a, a big jar, and you add one marble at a time, one marble at a time, one marble at a time. It takes a long time to fill that jar. 
but it doesn't take too much to accidentally knock that jar over and break it. So it means we have to be cognizant of everything we say and do at all points in time and then realize that it takes time. We've got to be patient. And, and look, if, if what we're doing right now isn't working, which research says it's not, then what's the big deal if I take some time just to build relationships with my teachers and show them this new way of doing it? So then once we have that, then they're more willing to offer suggestions. But we've all seen those type A personality principles that are like the bull in the china shop and we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and they they drive it down your throat. And so teachers will do it, but I've seen it. Their hearts are not into it. And it's and it becomes even if it's something that they might eventually like on their own, it becomes a drudgery because we're forced to do it. And so if that doesn't work, and we know that doesn't work, and we know building trust does work then let's get to a point where our teachers trust us. And if they trust us, what ends up happening is we, and remember each teacher is an individual different person. So it has to be differentiated to each person. But when we develop that with each person, the whole culture of the school becomes a culture of trust because as you're doing that and you're offering support supported uh, initiatives and offers to grow for people, you're empowering them and you're empowering other teachers to support each other. So that that whole culture of support for each other grows and grows and grows. And so that it almost becomes contagious. And then they want to grow and get better. And they also know that if I take a risk, even if I fail, I'm still going to be supported. And that's a huge, huge part. It doesn't happen often we try something new, but sometimes it doesn't. It will have an implementation dip before it gets better again. And so we've got to understand that and put all that together. And when we do that and offer a suggestion, people are much more willing to, to go for it, especially when it's supported, which it is. We're not just offering a suggestion. It's with all the tools and my continually coming back and seeing you regularly, not once every four months or six months or once a year too, when it all combines. So Craig, yeah. talk a little bit about the resistant person, right? Use it in that, in that yeah. quote there that, you, you know, they want to do it and they build that rapport and you complimented, you complimented. And now maybe after the fifth or sixth observation, you say, Hey, I really would like you to try getting out of your seat and, and being in a standing position. Right. And they, yeah. and then they don't do it right. If there's resistance there, Tell me about that and, and how do you build with that resistance person who doesn't want to change? Okay, so first thing I'm going to say is I think that's rare because when you built trust, more willing, more people are willing to go along with it and because the whole culture changes. But let's just say it's the whole, it, it, there is that that two, three percent of teachers that would fall into that category that will really resist even under like the, the conditions of trust that we cr created with trust-based observation. So I think one, just like in the classroom as a teacher, I want to spend time and, and work and correct that, but I don't want to spend all my time focused on that at the cost of all my other teachers, right? I don't want to focus so much on the deficit of one that prevents the growth of others. So having said that, I, I think when it's there, and we've built trust and we've created an opportunity where people are willing to be safe, then we can have difficult conversations and just say, look, we talked about it. And so even the way we ask, we ask permission first before we do it. And we avoid saying need and should, because those are kind of triggers that people resist. But even then when they do resist, then we can call and just say like last time we talked about it and then last month. And, but now I'm, I'm still not really seeing that. Can you help me explain? And, can you explain to me what's going on and just engage in a, a thoughtful dialogue about it? And hopefully you can find the core. I mean, sometimes the traditional system has had so much beating you down and inhibiting trust 
that they still don't trust you. So it's a little bit of a power control thing and it takes more time. And then, but as you develop that relationship, maybe you can work your way through that into the core of what's blocking them to get them to take a chance to grow. And no repeat. One of the things that we say on the form, on the observation form, one of the areas, we only have nine areas of pedagogy on it because research says anything more than 10, we lose the forest through the trees. One area that's not an area of pedagogy, it's just a reminder for the ob observers is risk-taking and innovative practice. And that's there so we can remind our teachers over and over until they know it's true that if I go into your room and I see you doing something new that completely bombs, that you can with absolute certainty know that you're going to receive a congratulatory fist bump the next day when we have a reflective conversation. So it might take some teachers longer to get to that point. But when they do get to that point, that's there. So maybe we need to reemphasize that again. But look, I'm also going to say there are times, even when we have a supportive, kind, gentle conversation about growing and the resistance is still there, just, just like in any other situation, sometimes it has to escalate to an action plan. Sorry about that. That's all right. You're getting some feedback from yourself. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, some you know, to an action plan or whatever. And sometimes it has to end up, you know, in the worst case of a, of a dismissal too. You, we don't want that. And we've done everything in our power to make that not happen, but you just have to take it like everything else. Okay. Craig, another quote from the book here, right? I grew up in the area, again, basketball coach, right? The coach yep. says, here's the job and you do it. My dad owned his own pharmacy. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing and here's how you do it. And this is what I want, right? Yeah. On, on page 11, uh, yep. you, talk about, you say it's crucial that the observers have an understanding and empathy for the complete vulnerability of the observation process. Yep. You know, we're the leaders and we're asking them to do these things. Tell me about the, an empathetic vision in there, uh, maybe looking at it a little differently. Uh, and how can people do that? How can we be more empathetic as the observer? Um, well, I'm going to recommend everybody read Parker Palmer's The Courage to Teach uh, because it's an amazing book. And he he uh, he spells out what we all secretly think and fear. So we realize we're not the only one. And one of the things that he says right at the very beginning of that book that's so powerful is he just says, I went to class that day, totally confident, my ability to like, like I'd nailed this. I got teaching down. And then I came home that night thinking, what a disaster. One class, I couldn't get to talk. The other class was talking so much, they started fighting with each other. And I actually went to bed that night thinking, uh, I wonder even at this late age in my career, if there's something new that I can do for a job, something maybe that I even that I'd be good at. And I think in a nutshell, what that really does is explain the complete challenge and difficulty of teaching as a career, because we're dealing with the dynamics of each individual group of students that's in there and what that's like and they're developing minds and they're not always going to act exactly the way we want and we can do the exact same lesson with two different classes at the secondary level and have completely i'm the best teacher in the world oh my god i'm a disaster right and so first off having empathy for that and just that is teaching right even in our best that's teaching and we're all going to have times like that so that's one thing is having empathy for the teaching but I think the other thing is just thinking about the observation process itself. So if we think about the observation process where somebody comes in and in trust base, it's unannounced, but I come in, I bring my laptop in, I sit down in the back of the room and in a traditional model, it's 50 minutes or an hour. 
And then I, so even if, if it's a pre-observation conference, it doesn't matter. But, and then I have to wait a few days for that person to come back and give me feedback. And I'm wondering what's going to happen. And the way it works is they come in, they sit down, they give me ratings on sometimes up to 60 different areas of pedagogy. If I'm lucky, they tell me uh, some things I did well. And then they usually give me a list that's too long of things that I'm supposed to get better at. Because certainly as a coach, we know if we work on more than one thing at a time, we're, we're going to spread so thin that we're not going to get better at anything. And so can you imagine like if if you were uh, sitting in on a doctor patient visit and you're like, oh, the way you held that stethoscope, that was a two. That wasn't a three. I'm sorry. And, and, and you know, and the way you put that thing in his ear, I mean, that was a four. But but the, when you went up the nose, that was a one. That's unacceptable. I mean, it's like, come on. I mean, that's that's really what we're doing to teachers. And it's it doesn't work. Yeah. And it's that whole argument of this is an art versus a science. We're trying to quantify an abstract and organic activity. And, and yeah, you're right about those numbers. It's craft and art both teaching us. And to yeah. boil it down to just these things, yeah. Well, I, I hear you on that. Tell me about the follow-up loop. You mentioned the conversation, right? And, and the world, I'm a, I'm a high school principal here in New York. Uh, you know, it's a busy job. You're on the move. You're on the go. Yeah. What if you have a disorganized principal, right? And they do the observation. They don't write it up right away because there's a crisis in the cafeteria. And then uh, they don't feel well and they have to leave that afternoon. And, and they and they don't do it. Like, how, you know, there's so many things that go yeah. into it. Yeah. How do you talk to, um, oh, there's my phone, sorry. <laughs> um, how do you talk to uh, principals about, scheduling that feedback yeah. loop to be able to go give the feedback right away. Yeah. It, it's so one of the things is it's a system. Trust-based observations is a system. And so I believe we all work better when we have routines. And so it's creating a routine. So it's 12 visits a week. So it's three observations on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and three reflective conversations on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are busier because we've got three observations and three reflective conversations. And then Mondays and Fridays are lighter because there's only three. We found the two-day break between Friday observations and Monday reflective conversations. It was too long to effectively remember everything. But the bonus is that means on Mondays and Fridays, I can schedule better, like more of my meetings on those lighter days. So we use that to schedule it. We do these routines. We create forms and our secretaries do, our, our office managers, that help us keep organized. And we're continuously cycling through. We make a list every day of the three teachers we're going to see. We actually put in two extras because sometimes something's going on and what I'm going to see isn't available. So we've got our backups already with us. We know what periods they're teaching. We also have our three reflective conversations. We know what their one or two prep periods are. So we have to prioritize getting into those prep periods because there's less time to do that. And so it's that cycle. And so we always want to try and start first period. And if I can get one reflective conversation and one observation in first period, then I only need to get four more in the rest of the day on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And so it's like that. But then in addition to that, the system, have accountability. So I've got an assistant principal or I have a district supervisor, a regional superintendent, like ask us all to hold each other accountable. Like, how are your visits going today? How did they go last week? So we can do that. And there's organizational steps beyond that in terms of looking at myself. We could all justify all the different things that a principal is supposed to do. We could justify staying in my office all day to get all those things done. 
And in some ways you couldn't argue, but if we're really talking about improving teaching and learning as being the most important part of our job, then we have to be out. So we have to look at the things we're doing, and I guarantee every one of us when we look at it, there are things that we're doing that we can pass off to our administrative assistants or whatever to do that. And so we have to organize ourselves to do that, to take advantage of that, like email and other things that, that mostly can be handed off and then we can condense into smaller periods of time. So it's all of that together helps to create the, the process where you are able to continue as a, as a regular process. And yeah. let me just say this, one more thing. It's just, of course we know there are always that crazy day when an emergency comes up and it eats your whole day. And so those reflective conversations that I was gonna have today, sometimes we just have to wait till the next day because that's reality too. Sure, but you gotta be a master scheduler. You gotta be organized with your time. You gotta be focused on the important work. Uh, and again, keeping that goal of teaching and learning uh, in front of you. I'll add to that, that when you start to experience teachers feeling what they feel when this new way of, of, of observing goes into effect. And then you start to see a teacher make a transformative change in their practice. That's really, really good to help you keep doing it. It's great motivation because then you see it and start to feel it and you know you are actually having a direct impact on improving teaching and learning. Yeah, okay. Well, let's shift gears a little bit, Craig. Tell yeah. me about, I'm really interested. And again, I, I, I'm sure you heard in the opening, I'm gonna do a book writing seminar, but I love mm -hmm. to authors about their process of writing um you know how did you do it many people say andrew how'd you do it like are you a i'm gonna write this whole chapter and i'm sitting on this desk for 10 hours do you write an hour a day how, how'd you do it so i'll say i think i was lucky because a lot of people that do it have their regular job and they're doing it at night and we'd save enough money from our international school days to supplement at a lower <laughs> lifestyle cost of living for me to take time off to do it. And okay. so I uh, I literally, I went to a coffee shop and the first six months I mostly researched and I found a bunch of information that backed what I discovered that showed, yes, this works, that doesn't work and that's why. So I researched a bunch, and I, but I would go to this coffee shop and it was like a job. It was Monday through Friday and I can't write for eight hours a day. Like six is the top. And look, many days I'd be there and I'd be lucky to get a paragraph because it's just it's just not coming. But like everything else, it's persistence. And so if I persist and persist and persist, and I know you probably know this, that breakthrough comes and you're like, oh, thank God, because you get that frustration like where you think it's never going to come. And so really it was Monday through Friday, Monday through Friday. And I will just say right next door to the coffee shop. And it was like individual tables and community tables. So you get to know people in there. And it was a coffee shop where I could drink one coffee for five hours and they were totally okay with that. But right next door, there was a beer shop. <laughs> so uh, about two or three days a week, I'd spend the last hour having a pint and doing my writing there. Still writing though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Only to one point after that yeah. I had to go. <laughs> well, you do, I mean, your research is very thorough. There are a lot of, Citing uh, and resources. I mean, John Haiti to get to get that in there, and uh, Michael Fullen, and, and so many of uh, you know just great educators, great authors. Um, so really, you know, really well done, and uh, you know, organized nicely. Are they all the hardcover? Was that something that you uh, you put? No, with? no, no, no. There's very. I think just because um, I think I sent that to you way back in the fall, yeah. and I just had yeah. a certain number of hardcovers. So no, they're almost all paperback but it's okay. weird because that looks like a textbook right it has that feel to it like a textbook yeah. so no most are 
no, there's hardly any paper. I think like uh, sometimes libraries will buy the hardcovers or something, or maybe professors that'll start teaching that in my class, in their class, hopefully, or something. Yeah, sure, sure. No, I love it. And and again, that process. Uh, and you have again John Gordon, Carol Dweck. You have uh, so many people that you were able to connect and bring into it. And like you said, now it's a passion getting it into the hands of principals, looking to change this process that we all know uh, is not working. Um, Craig, you were a counselor, right? Yeah, Empathy, started out. Ability to listen, uh, that ability to make relationships is something that you were doing for a living. Has that, has that role as a former school counselor, as that role as a basketball coach, how did those uh, roles impact your leadership as a principal? I would say the counselor is probably just naturally who I am. I just think I'm a, I think I'm a nice guy who's kind and caring and always been a good listener. And so I think that's just who I am. But I think being in a situation where I get to see all the teachers in the school, as you do as a counselor, uh, especially elementary, and I was putting out all kinds of fires and and working with challenging students and seeing teachers working with challenging students, I think that really helped with my empathy and understanding for the challenges of teaching for sure. And then I would say coaching, I think strategy and the importance of fundamentals and teamwork, I, I think those do. But if, to be totally honest, uh, when you sent the warm or the questions to ask us about that, you had like greatest strengths and greatest weakness. And I'm not sure this is my greatest weakness, but it's the thing that sticks out in my head in, in comparison to trust-based observations that I probably cringe the most about is that I was such a yeller and screamer as coach. I mean, it was nice at different times for sure, but just like, it's like the hypocrisy between the way I would, and it wasn't strengths-based. I looked more at their weaknesses and focused more on those and, oh. and, I know, I know I'm embarrassed, but it's <laughs> it's the way I was back then, and and so I've learned not to be that. And if I could go back and change it, I would. But well, and that goes back to that that thing about showing the kid the right way to do it, and then getting to do it. It's a victory there, but it really that that way you describe a principal. Hopefully, they're not screaming and yelling at their teachers, but <laughs> there's a way to try to move people, right? And and it's yeah. not screaming, it's not by yelling. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Yeah. And, it's, and it's certainly today's age that it doesn't fly. When we grew up, that, that was how we were told to do things. And this is mm -hmm. what I was, and you do it because I'm the boss. That don't fly these days. No, no, it's a different world for sure. Learning sure. I mean, but like lifelong learners, right? I want my teachers to help our students to become lifelong learners. As a principal, I want to practice lifelong learning and put it into action and meet fail too and share that. So my teeth, you know, because my I want my teachers to be lifelong learners. So all the way through, we ought to be practicing the same thing. Craig, again, principal, coach, counselor, right? You're a father, you got children, you, your wife's in education as well. Tell me some things now. It's a stressful time for a lot of people. Our country is in a in a in a just a, a pressure cooker of, of events and racial yeah. distrust and just you know just so much happening tell me some ways that you would offer for educators to de-stress during this time i mean we got to do whatever our own passions tell us but uh i i think having hobbies or having whatever whether it's cooking or reading or going to movies or socializing but i would definitely say socializing with people even if it's zoom things i mean we're lucky now, like we, our whole family is vaccinated. And, and so that feels like we can see people just a little bit more, at least others that are vaccinated, but that social component, because even like this, Andrew, like, even though this is a really engaging conversation, just think how much more engaging it would be 
like without the screens, right? Because you you get that vibe on the other person more. And so as we can spend time with people more, but then yeah, just whatever it is, whether it's cooking, eating, exercising, whatever your thing is, find it and get time and God, don't be a workaholic. Got to separate. Absolutely. Uh, Craig, this was awesome. I know your goal is to get this into uh, principal's hands everywhere. Uh, what would be the best way if, uh, if I'm a principal watching this, if I'm a superintendent and I say, hey, you know, maybe we want to check this out. What would be the best way we can do that? One, you can get the book on Amazon, um, but I have a website, uh, trustbase.com. So that's really easy to remember. And just look on there and you can see everything you need to know about it. You can email me, Craig at trustbase.com. My Twitter handles at Trustbase Craig, and so is my LinkedIn handle. And those are the best ways to get a hold of me. And uh, one of the things that I offer is that just a free half hour consultation with anybody who just wants to talk shop about it. Because um, my goal is to change the world to teach our observations, because we know what we're doing right now is not improving teaching and learning, and research backs it up. You are now coaching principals in this as well, is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fantastic, and you're able to do that virtually. Uh, I'm now, actually doing a school in Beijing, an international school. Like I started and then we go full board this next week. Yeah, crazy. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. That uh, that time international uh, must have been life-changing for you. It, it it was for us. And maybe even more gratifying is for our, our twins. I mean, I just, they're 19 and they, they're so mature. And so they have a global perspective that's, yeah. that impresses me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this was great, Craig, and uh, I love to meet people that have a passion, and this is a specific driven passion, and uh, I am certainly going to uh, be doing this. I'm I'm taking on a new role July 1st at, at my middle school in my district, Port Jervis, New York. And, Exciting. Uh, look forward to, again, yeah, building trust with a new, a new group uh, of teachers, so uh, I appreciate it. Uh, but let's get to rapid fire. These are, these are quick questions, Craig. These are uh, the first thing that kind of pops into your head, I'd love to, uh, you know, just hear people's answers. So here yep. we go. Uh, last book you read. Oh, A Woman of No Importance. It's amazing. Your daughter, have her read it. She'll love it. Really? Okay. Yes. Yes. A woman of oh, no she, this woman was behind French lines in America, and she really started the, uh, as a spy the French resistance movement. Absolutely amazing. True, wow. true life story. Yeah. Last movie you saw? Nomadland. Depressing. Favorite favorite place to travel? Uh, any place new, but I'd say the very best vacation I had was in the Canary Islands. Nice. Okay. Your music. What kind of music are you into? Oh gosh, anything like soulful Motown that makes you want to move. What What was the most challenging part of being a principal for you? Uh, the politics. I have no stomach for that. Yeah. Yeah. Got to roll. Got to roll through it. Uh, something that gets under your skin. Pet peeve. Uh, sycophants. I just can't. Like, earn your way. Stop. Stop. Stop being a sycophant. Uh, just stop kissing. Earn it. Just, oh, you can do it. <laughs> uh, I don't feel like doing blank at four o'clock. What's something in the afternoon that you're just done with? Paperwork. <laughs> Got to get outside. Yeah, exactly. Um, when people are done with an observation they had with you, what is that you hope that they say about you in the process? I think they're just going to say thanks because 
it's just normal. Like this new way of doing it and engaging in collegial supportive dialogue, reflection on practice and supported opportunities for growth. There's no anxiety before it. There's no anxiety during it. There's no anxiety afterward. It's just like, hey, thanks. It's because it's just normal, this new way versus the way it is now. Awesome. Best purchase under 100 bucks that has had a great impact on your life. This is so silly, but I started uh, making my own pizza dough and pizza during the pandemic and having a pizza peel, you know, that wooden uh, uh, board that you put the pizza on and slide yeah. it on and off. Oh, my God. It's all about having the tools. You love it. It's, totally. Uh, you're talking to an Italian from New York here, Craig. What's your specialty? Tell me. It's just it's it's letting the dough rise for six hours, man. It's the love of the dough. Thin, thin crust. Yeah, thin crust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh -huh. what do you add? What's your what's your what are you topping? Oh, uh, we do like a pesto with like sundried tomato, calamata, artichoke hearts, feta. That's one of our specialties. You are you are a true international guy. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Craig, coaching. What yeah, you know, what do you miss about coaching? Oh, with the competition, being in the games, that ang that excitement and anxiety of winning and losing and that uh you know, it's happening in hell all at the same time. You know, we talked off air. I was an I was an official. What was something that an official would do that just drove you crazy? <laughs> Tell me to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. What were the who were the best officials, Craig? You're talking about feedback. You're talking about relationship. Who are the best officials? You know, it relates to this empathy. The one that demonstrated empathy, because even sometimes something would go wrong. Maybe it'd be my fault. Maybe it'd be a missed call. Maybe whatever. But when there was genuinely there was an understanding of that, all I could do was calm down. Yeah, yeah, and it was really you know talking to people, building relationships. It's the same, same, same. Tell me about Washington State. Living in Washington State is? Blissful in July, August, and September when the weather's perfect. And what, what, is, the, what is the weather? What's the, you know, January, February, March? What are you looking at? It's 37 degrees and rainy. And that so chilly not, bones rain. It's, but not, not so much snow, but rain. Yeah, you get snow maybe once a year, a couple inches. Every once in a while, you get a big storm. So snow's not really. It's just... It's, I mean, it's so green here, but you pay the price of having, this is the first winter where I was like, you know, maybe I don't have to live here all 12 months of the year once I get older. <laughs> Did Gonzaga put you guys, you know, bring a lot of attention to the state? What, you're a big uh, Gonzaga fan? I mean, I'm a Husky, Washington Husky as, a, as an alum, but um, I mean, how can you not love what they've done on, on sure. that level for how many, 20 some years they've been, once the last, like 2014 or 13 was the last time they didn't make the Sweet 16. I mean, it's, it, and now they've got the number one and three recruit for next year. It's, it's really, really cool. And it's that guy, Dan Munson, I think his name was the guy that first started that there. And he built it. And then I think he took Minnesota or something, and it was hard to build it there in another place. And he told Few, who'd been his assistant, you've got it good. Don't do what I did. And yeah. Few, I think Few was that kind of guy anyway. But it's a small town, 200,000 people. It's beautiful. And he's, he's just like, why would I change? It's all great here. Craig, we know that trust-based observation is your passion. Uh, you're, you're putting it in, in the hearts of the principals and the minds of teachers. Uh, let's help you get it out there. Um, how about a quote to end this with, Craig? Do you have a favorite quote that you want to share? Yeah, it's from Robert Greenleaf, the guy that wrote Servant Leadership. 
And it's simple. Legitimacy begins with trust. Mm. Amen. Say it again. I love it. Legitimacy begins with trust. This was Craig Randall, everybody, uh, here on Education Leadership Beyond. Trust-based observations. Uh, you know, Craig, I'm about three-quarters of the way through it. I'm going to give it to my, my new assistant principal. Uh, there's a lot in here. You put your heart and soul. So we wish you the best uh, in this journey. And uh, if we can improve the teacher observation, we're going to help improve teaching and learning, which in turn is going to help education for kids. Amen. Amen. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on, Andrew. Thanks so much. Good. And guys, you could, again, uh, his Twitter handles on the bottom here, uh, his website, trustbase.com, uh, and uh, uh, reach out to Craig. Craig, uh, you stay on the line a sec. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. If I could help you in any way, don't hesitate to reach out at Andrew Murata 21 on Twitter. Uh, wishing you the best through this time. Be kind, be empathetic to people. Uh, the world right now, again, a pressure cooker. Be kind and compassionate towards others. Uh, Craig, thanks so much. Thank you.